Welcome to Echo Online Service. We are so thankful to have you joining us today. We are continuing in our essential series, Back to the Basics. Today's message is on communion, understanding communion, and that God wants us to live in communion with his people. It is such a timely message, and I know you will be blessed by it. If you're new to Echo Online Service, we start with our Echo Band, we hear from Pastor Andy, and we have a time of response. With communion being our topic today, I can't help but bring up Echo Tables. We are not meant to do life alone, and tables are Echo small groups, a place to truly be the church between Sundays. And if you have yet to sign up, it is not too late, so head to our website today and join a table. Echo knows that we are called to this city. We are here to make a difference. So will you pray with us today to help make this dream a reality? Will you partner with us by giving to our Echo Permanence Fund? Simply head to our website, use the Church Center app, or text any amount to 84321. Thanks again for joining us online. We love having you be a part of our Echo fam and enjoy Echo Online Service.
God, in these next few moments, Jesus. God, we just humble our hearts before you in this place. God, we just come expectant. God, we come with a heart of worship. God, we breathe in and we breathe out the peace that you offer this morning. God, the faithfulness that you offer in this place. God, thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name.
we come to you right now and we say thank you. God, as we look back on our past and how you have carried us, how you've not given up on us, how you are always by our side, God, we say thank you. God, I pray for every single person in this room for what they need right now, God, their hearts cry. I pray that we can pause and we can give you our burdens, we can give you our hopes and our dreams, God. I pray right now that we let you in. I pray for walls to come down brick by brick, God. I pray for new beginnings. I thank you for you never giving up, God. And I pray for your voice to be heard over the chaos and over the noise, God. I pray that we can look ahead. I thank you for giving us new perspective. I pray that you will shift our hearts, God. I pray for the people in this room who have come in broken, who are craving the world more than you, God. And I pray that you will shift our focus, shift our cravings. God, I pray that you take away addiction. God, I thank you for you showing up today, God, that you are here. It's just a matter of us acknowledging your presence, God. And I just pray that this room is a room of gratitude, a room of gratefulness and thankfulness, God. And I just pray for the people who are learning to use their voice for the very first time, God. I pray that it's so simple. It's just us saying your name. It's saying Jesus. Jesus, you are here and you are welcome in this place. Amen. We're in the middle of a series called Essentials, and really what I want to do in, the, in the, really in a month period of time is kind of just go back to the basics, and, and what I've been talking about is that we all have spiritual needs. There are some base spiritual uh, 
desires that we all have, regardless of whether or not we're Christian or not, just because we're human. And I think those four basic essentials are this, are these. Number one, we need to hear God. We have the desire to speak to God. We, we, we hope that God hears us. We want God to speak to us, number one. We want God to hear us. The third one is we want God to be with us. And the fourth need is that God would work within us and ultimately through us, that we would be a vessel. And, and today, what I want to do is just lean into that third one that we desire for God to be with us. Now, every one of these spiritual needs pairs up really well with one of the spiritual disciplines of our faith. Exodus chapter two, the context of this book is that the Israelites have been in slavery and in, under the bondage of Egypt for 400 years. And what God does is he raises this child. He, this child is birthed to redeem this nation out of Egypt. And, and right away, right from the onset, there is a war against this little baby, which you think about the parallel just right there. In Exodus, we see this with Moses. And Moses is saved. And then he's put into a, a family that is really counter culture from his Jewish, Israeli faith and his upbringing, his family. And what we find is when he grows up, even outside of the context of his Israel faith, he, he senses that there is a calling on his life. He, sense, he senses he has a purpose, that he's written to make a difference. And so that's exactly what he does. He goes out to make a difference. And the way that he makes a difference is how he's aware of how the Egyptians would make a difference. And what he ends up doing is he ends up burying an Egyptian in the sand, pushing up daisies. And when he realized that he was wrong, he fled. And this is where we are. The savior, the, the person that's supposed to uh, save Israelite, the Israelites have fled. And now what we read in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 is coming off of that. And it says, sometime uh, during those many years, the king of Egypt died. But the people of Israel still groaned under the yoke of slavery and they cried. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. How many are thankful that God hears us? Verse 24 says, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God acknowledged them. Now, I want to look back to, in order to look forward into, the, into really the present and how we engage in communion. And I want to just kind of uh, unpack a deeper understanding of, understanding of communion by kind of looking at the historical uh, uh, activities that led up to why we do communion today. And this is where it starts the first, first piece of understanding that we need to, to really, uh, I would say, um, allow into our life and our thinking is this, is number one, if we're going to understand communion, we have to admit that we need a rescue. And what we read in, in Exodus chapter 2 is that God is beginning this exodus, that the rescue is beginning. But how does it begin? It begins with this idea that there is a people, that there is an individual, there are families, there are faith communities that are crying out to God. 
See, I believe communion starts with this hunger for God. This hunger for God. And, 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 uh, and, and, and honestly, I believe that in exodus and redemption, a rescue, restoration in our life as God is doing something in it starts with us admitting that we need a rescue, that we cannot do life alone. Now, if you came to church with someone and you aren't socially distancing against them, look at your neighbor and say, well, I need God. Now, say, say, now let the other person talk and say, you need me. <laughs> but a lot of times, we're, we're honestly, we're, we're naturally put into a, uh, a disposition that we kind of want to do life on our own. At least we want to try. I've got two illustrations. First, I remember going to college for the very first time. I grew up in the same town, same home, same schools, same friends. And when I went off to college, I was like, I don't need anybody. I've got my friends, I've got my home, I've got the context that I'm comfortable with. And after about three months of, of doing life alone, I realized I was depressed. <laughs> I was having a mental breakdown, an emotional breakdown, because I was so alone. And I began to realize at a very young age that I could not do life alone. Anybody agree with that? Yeah. This summer, I was creating a man shed. Some people, uh, some people told me that I should call it the holy shed. And I was creating the walls, and I was building the framing up around it. And my neighbor, Isaac, a great friend of mine, he, he came, and he would, he would come and inspect my work and, and just see the update. And I was, at that day, uh, I was creating a loft to put up uh, inside of the structure, inside the frames. And I was, I was building it from the bottom up. I was going to build that deck, and then I was going to place it on top. Two by, six, uh, two, two by six structure. And it would have been approximately 10 feet by 10 feet. And Isaac, being the man of wisdom that he is, he said, well, you should probably build it up there. Like, you should probably build it up in place so it's just easier for you. And I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and he was like, well, you're going to need help when you do this. And I was like, ah, I'm sure I can do it myself. And so he went up the hill and went to his house, and I finished constructing that deck, and I remember picking up one end of it. And I was like, you know what? Because he said I can't, I'm going to do it. Um, so I got that, that one side up on, because I had an inside wall about seven feet tall, and I, I got that kind of up to that point. And then I went through the studs and I went to the other side and, and I was like, okay, I think I can do this. You know, I was like the little engine that could, you know, although I was feeling like a pretty big boy that day. <laughs> and I ended up, I ended up getting, uh, you know, the bottom and I picked it up and I was like, oh, okay, not so bad. But then I tried to push it up and over that leverage point And I realized real quickly that I cannot do life alone. Like I got too much pride. This is an illustration of how we do life, okay? So follow me. Some of you are like, you're wasting my time. No, I'm telling you something that's kind of funny. I was like, I am not going to go and ask Isaac for help. I can't. Because he said I can't do this by myself. So you know what I did? I found my second Borkaya, who's about this size. And I got down to her level, and I said, we are doing this. And for the next 20 minutes, we got the deck on top of the shed. 
But if I could have videoed my daughter, Kaya, she was literally red, almost purple in the face at some point, because she's like this, come on, Dad, come on! I'm telling you, well, life is not meant to be done alone. And, and honestly, I think one of the things when it comes to communion, the thing that we need to remember is this, is beginning to place our heart and our mind in a place of becoming humble and admitting that we need a rescue. And at this very moment, God steps up. God steps in. God calls Moses to lead. Even though he has fled Egypt, he steps back into Moses' life. He reveals himself to, he, he confirms his calling and sends them back into Egypt. And now they're going to go to war against the Egyptians. But this war doesn't look like the war that they had been used to with knives and with swords and with shields. But God was going to deliver them from the hands of the Egyptians. And so you, if you've grown up in the church, you know the story. There's 10 plagues. There is 10 plagues. And if you were in Sunday school and you were taught as a, a young child what, what these plagues were, you were like, man, these are crazy. And, and then as you grow up, you start looking at them and you're like, man, God is so inhumane. He doesn't care for humanity. Why is it that he's doing what he's doing? And it's because we miss the point. When God goes to war with Egypt, he's not warring against humanity. He's, warring against he's, he's not warring against flesh and blood. He's warring against powers and principalities. See, what Egypt did is they put gods in place, in a place of their heart, in a place of their worship, and God was going to address, directly address and challenge their belief systems. And so God sends plague after plague after plague. And if you do any kind of research, what you would begin to find out that he began to address uh, the God of the Nile River. He, he addressed the frog God. He, 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 he addressed this one God that they would worship named Seth. And then at the very end, we find that he addresses the firstborn ch children and that's where, if you look back in the Old Testament, you start struggling with your theology because you're like, if God is a loving God, why would he ever do that? And, and what we see here is God is not addressing and desiring to kill all these firstborns. What he's trying to address is Pharaoh himself who claims to be God. And he's going to address Pharaoh's power and whether he actually can stand up under the power of the one true God. What happens at this portion of Scripture, and there's about 10 chapters that we're going to eventually go to Exodus chapter 12. God begins to more or less instruct the Israelites and say, I'm going to do this. And if you want to be rescued, if you want to find uh, yourself at the end of this plague with your full family intact, I'm going to tell you to do something very specific. And he told the Israelites, and, and I have to say this, some of you, you read this portion of scripture, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's not you, you read it and you're like, this is just so out of the character of God. But what you see in the scripture is that God tells the Israelites, but don't believe for one second that the, Egypts, the Egyptians did not hear the same instructions. 
that by the 10th plague that the Egyptians weren't going like this into the Israelites' conversations going, okay, what is coming next? And so God, what he does in, in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, he says, Moses, uh, he instructed, instructed Moses, call for all the leadership of Israel, uh, get them together. And he said this, select and take lambs for your families and slaughter for the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop leaves and dip them in blood, which is in a basin, and smear them on one side of the top of the door frames and on its side, the two sides. Then none of you is to go out of the door of this house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to kill the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on top of the two sides, the Lord will pass over the door, and he will not allow the slaughterer to enter your houses and kill you. And then verse 24, it says, you are to observe this law, you and your descendants forever. I believe with all of my heart that there were, is, and I, can, I could, if I had time, I could prove it to you, that there were Egyptians that did this. That there are other foreigners living in Egypt that did this. Would be, they would be called the remnant. Or they would be the people that kind of were on the peripheral, the people that kind of, not the remnant, but they would be people that came around the Israelites and, and, and actually fled Egypt in the same time. And I believe what, we're, what I want to tell you when it comes to communion and this story that kind of uh, ble- literally bleeds into and figuratively bleeds into Jesus eventually uh, reliving out this, this Passover celebration is that this moment when God is instructing people to do something you've never done before, if, we, if we're going to understand communion more in a deeper level, then number two, obedience with action is a requirement. That number one, you know, we need to admit that we need a rescue. But if we're going to be rescued and we're going to view communion in the right light, then the next thing to take a step deeper into uh, understanding communion is its obedience in our actions. And the people that did what were instructed, they were passed over. And for generations after generations, people celebrated this day. As the remembrance that God saved and rescued his people. And then 1,300 years later, Jesus steps onto the scene and he invites his disciples to that same table. Jesus chooses to participate in the holiday to reveal himself as number one, the lamb, number two, the answer. And number three, the son of God. I mean, just think about what, I'm, what I just told you about Pharaoh and addressing Pharaoh as the, the God of Egypt, right? And him, in essence, overcoming the son of God. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, he invites his disciples and his followers into this conversation, into this meal, at, to, at this table. And he's, he, he begins to say, here's the deal. We are going to participate in what you've participated as a people for 1,300 years. But I'm going to teach you a different meaning that guess what? We are, we are, God is going to 
pass over your sins and, and your mistakes and, and, and your, your decision to live life the way that you want to live because I myself as the son of God am going to place myself as the sacrificial lamb so that you might be saved. I think it was absolutely phenomenal as, as you know, uh, someone that strives to be a theologian, as someone that wants to be a, a biblical historian of sorts, is uh, as I've, uh, again, just chewed on this concept for many years, is there's many historians and theologians that believe as Jesus is hung upon the cross in Golgotha, that's the very moment that thousands upon thousands of sacrificial lambs are being roasted over a fire in a cross-like form. That that very moment, as, as there is death in one place, there is a sweet smell of cooked meat. <laughs> it sounds really odd, but, but just think about being in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago where, where there is such despair, there's such destruction happening in one location, but yet there are homes that can find and smell the sweet savior of a meal and their sins being forgiven. That the Lord was going to make amends, that God was going to choose the Lamb's blood to redeem us from our fault. I think it was, I gotta say this, this is kind of fun to think about, the Jewish perspective and thought. I was reading a commentary, it said Jewish, Jewish perspective and thought are not only taught, it was always eaten. And, and I think that's what's fun about communion is, is it kind of follows in that vein. Communion is this idea of, of, a, some, of a, a theological thought or perspective and we remember it in what we choose to eat. I think this is a remarkable moment as Jesus is on the cross and across Jerusalem there are people that are offering this sacrificial lamb as a family as a party of sorts, of, of thanksgiving that God had saved them. This colliding together is a remarkable collision of meaning and thought. And Jesus, as he's about to bring himself to the cross, in Luke 22, verse 14, it says, When the time came, Jesus and his emissaries, his disciples, reclined at the table together, and he said to them, I have really wanted so much to celebrate this Passover with you before I die. For I tell you, it is certain that I did not celebrate, I, I will tell you, certainly I will not celebrate it again until it is given its full meaning in the kingdom of God. The third step to understanding communion is this, is receiving Jesus's invitation. If we're going to understand communion deeper, it's Jesus's invitation to the table. Jesus is reclining at the table with his disciples and he makes clear his intentions with what I just uh, read. I have really wanted to celebrate it with you. And I'm telling you what, that is God's intention over your life. He wants to invite you to this table and life, he wants, he wants your life to be a celebration with him. He invites his disciples. Now just think about it. Think about who's at the table as they're celebrating the Passover meal, as we remember this as communion, as Jesus is remembering communion, Jesus in, invites his disciples, who one of them is Judas, the betrayer. He invites Peter, the denier. 
He invites John and James, the power hungry. He invites Matthew, the tax collector, who, by the way, would be viewed as a traitor to the Israelite people. And that's who he invites to the table. So it doesn't matter who you are today or what you do in life. Jesus is sitting here and he's, he's knocking at your door and he's saying this, will you receive my invitation to the table? That's where I go back to the Egyptians and hearing about what's going to happen over with this Passover lamb. I believe Jesus invited even the Egyptians to participate in the saving grace of God. That's who Jesus is. Verse 17, continuing on, it says, Then taking the cup of wine, he made a blessing. He said, Thanks. And he said, Take this and share it among yourself. For I tell you that from now on, I will drink the fruit of the vine. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. Also taking the piece of matzah, this flat bread, coincidentally flattened, bruised, poked holes into Think about that. Think about the visual. Making a a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and he said, this is my body, which has been given to you. Do this in memory of me. He did the same with the cup, and after the meal, he said this, this cup is my new covenant. It's the new covenant ratified by my blood, which is being poured out to you. See, I believe if we're going to understand communion more, if we're going to Uh, when we gather together and have communion, if we're going to get and and appreciate the fullness of what it's to offer, it has to offer, that number one and number four, we need to remember this, is take this and share it amongst yourself. Band, you guys can come up. I'm going to close shop here in a moment. Communion was never meant to be done alone. I think there's almost this full circle moment. If you're going to understand communion, you have to begin to understand that communion cannot be done alone. That we need a rescue. That I cannot do life alone. And as Jesus comes and he follows into the traditions of his forefathers, he sits at a table, he invites his disciples that are, by the, by the way, far from perfect. And he reminds them, you cannot do life alone. He shared a table with Judas who would betray him within a few hours. He ate the same food. He drank the same wine. And yet the invitation was there. I believe Jesus' empathy, Jesus' compassion, Jesus' care for those at the table, it was real. And when we together as a church come and celebrate communion, I want us to remember that we are to do life together. See, for many of us, our faith is like golf or skateboarding. (laughs) But faith is is supposed to be more like baseball or football. It's a team sport. Yes, there are some individual tasks and trainings. 
If we're going to go back to the basics, then we got to remember that we cannot do this alone, and nor should we. And Jesus invites us to do this together. Communion is less about you, and it has more to do with us. Communion is less about grape juice and wafers, and it has a lot more to do with God inviting us to live within a community that will fight and share amongst each other. When we come and we gather together on a Sunday morning, digitally or in person, this is our commitment that when we come together, we set aside our differences and we unite together under this idea that Jesus pays it all. That Jesus is the one that brings us together. And regardless of whether or not we agree on all these little things that we're so concerned and fixated during the week, that when we come together, that we set those aside, we put Jesus at the center, and we say, Jesus, we thank you. And we remember you. And we choose to follow you. In ninth grade, I went to this youth convention up in the UP. Anybody not know what the UP is? The Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Yes, there are people there. There's about a thousand of us, maybe 1,500 students and a few adults, which really creates the opportunity of an awesome time. (laughs) Amazing, it was awesome. I remember they chose to do communion that year with a bunch of these teens. And they gave us those plastic cups. Not like this. These are a little bit too flexible. And I remember they had administered or they kind of got you know, walked through the communion time. And I remember we, we, we ate the bread, which always just tastes like junk. I don't know what's going on. If it wasn't COVID, we'd have some real bread in the house. (laughs) I remember we ate the bread and prayed. It was this moment we're remembering Jesus. And then after that, we took the cup and we drank this grape juice because you would not give wine to a bunch of minors. (laughs) And I remember there was a special moment that happened next because someone decided to crack their communion cup. And if you could just imagine in a hockey arena with about 1,500 students, off in the distance you hear one crack. And the next, the other side of the room you hear another crack. And then on the other other side you hear. And I remember it was almost like a rainstorm of cracking around the room. And I remember this moment so vividly. And I looked at an adult and she looked at me and smirked and went like this. And I was like, yes, Lord. (laughs) I want to be that type of church. I want to be a church where when God asks us to go, and it might look a little different, it might sound a little different, that we could be united, that we could be together, that we could admit that we, that I need a rescue, but we need to do this life together. Table communities are starting this week. 
don't know if you know this, but they're called tables for this very reason. Some of you, I've never been around a table being a part of a table community. Good. Because they don't need to be. But they can be. The idea of table communities here at Echo is us gathering with one another with the one idea of saying, let's do life together. We all need a rescue. We all can't do life alone. So let's just go ahead and whatever we like to do, some of you, you guys go and play basketball. Some of you might go work out. Some of you are into competitive knitting. That's awesome. (laughs) Underwater basket weaving. And some of you like to do the, you know, the traditional Bible study. This, this summer, I gathered together with about five or six men around a bonfire, socially distanced. <laughs> and it was a life-giving source while we were all just, you know, separated. It was something that helped me get through the summer. And some of you walk into this place, and this is a brand new community, and I'm trying to just really honestly hit it home today. We need each other. And it's it, communion, yes, it has to do with our grape juice and our wafers, but it has more to do with us doing life together with the name and following Jesus in life. Yeah. And here's the deal. This is what I want to say. Some of you, you're not comfortable in leading. We don't have enough groups for everybody. That's just how it is. Just because a lot of us are maybe we don't feel like we're capable or able to lead a Bible study or... And and I understand that. But I'm just wondering, I want to throw this out. What if we would invite someone today to our table for the next few weeks in a row? Someone from Echo that you really don't know that well, but you would like to get to know a little bit better and say, you know what? I'm not comfortable maybe leading a Bible study, but I am comfortable in having some pizza at my table sometime this week. I just wonder if we could take that little micro step today It sounds so small, but the New Testament church, they gathered together in worship, but they met daily in their homes. And I'm just wondering if we could grab one or two other people and just say, you know what, come over. We've we've grown maybe fearful of that a little bit, but would we break the mold and would we invite someone over and have some pizza have some spaghetti have some lasagna have some keto or what is that even is that a thing isn't keto like a workout okay anyway but would we just invite someone to do life together I want to take communion together If you've never taken communion here, there is a top plastic that you can get the cardboard out of. <laughs> Next Sunday is Vision Sunday. I'm just going to give you a little sneak peek. One day we will eat good bread while we're doing communion. <laughs> Maybe not in 2021, but one day again. Lord, today, we admit we need a rescue. 
today, God. Communion is this physical movement, an example of us living in obedience. You said it, so we're going to do it. That we don't take communion lightly. We accept this invitation to the table as we are. Not as saints, but as sinners. And right now we pause. And when we're in your presence, we understand we do not add up. You love us still. And we say thank you for that. Jesus, we come here and we lay down our sins. We lay down our failures. God, will you forgive us once again? Will you give us a fresh start? And God, today we come and do communion. And as we do this together, and some people will do this at home watching this, God, that as we share in this mini little meal, God, I just ask that you would help us break that into our life on a weekly basis, that we're willing to, yes, share our own table, share our own emotions, share our own spiritual walk with somebody around us because we cannot do this alone. So Jesus, we acknowledge that we remember that your body was broken on our behalf and we take this wafer, we take this bread and say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody partake. Jesus, we thank you for this blood. 3,300 years ago, a lamb was killed and the blood flowed into this basin. And the Israelites and those who heard the message and applied the message put the blood on their door frames. And you saved them. And 2,000 years ago, you came and you reminded us that you were the lamb, that it's your blood that saves us. It's you as the son of God that was laid down so we might find a rescue, that we might be restored and we might have a relationship with you. And so today, as we drink this blood, we receive your healing. We receive your forgiveness. We receive the cost and the pay, payment of our sins. And we say, thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody partakes. Can we take a moment and just ponder this as the band sings a song? Have a conversation with God. I feel he wants to call you a little deeper. He wants to whisper to your heart and solidify a message in your heart and your mind this morning.
Teach me to abide in you To hear your voice all around me Your voice all around me I've been picturing the table since Andy talked about it. And there's a reason that Jesus didn't celebrate this opportunity of communion by himself. He did it surrounded by people, which by the way, if you are ever curious, read into who the disciples were. Andy listed off some of them. One of them's like a religious zealot that was known for getting in fights all the time. Like if you're just trying to find somebody to, to attribute to your own challenges, I promise you there is a disciple who fits your struggles. I just, there just is. There, there, they cover the gamut. But it's interesting that he does it at the table because when we make a decision to walk in faith, that is a personal decision. When we take that step, right, it, it's personal. But you can't live out that faith by yourself. So what we do every week at Echo is we say a prayer together in community, in support of one another and the journey we're on. Jesus, I surrender. I have no questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, you died, and you rose again, all with us in mind. I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name and his authority. Amen. Amen. Now, we believe at Echo Church that there are people that are making decisions for the first time or the first time in a long time, and we want to celebrate them as a community. Come on, let's celebrate a little. Come on. I've been thinking about this message, and I've been thinking about just Echo as a church, and one of the things that we take a lot of pride in is not just going through the motions, but doing things and understanding the meaning behind them. So I just love the idea of digging deeper and knowing more about communion. I'm grateful for that message and just the challenge. Now the root word of communion and community are the same. Come out of the same place. And at Echo, we really believe in your people and your place and your purpose. We believe in those things. And one of the things that's important to us is community. So your people are really going to be found not on a Sunday morning, not on a Zoom call or, or watching church on, at home, but on a, on a table community, in, in, in community with people, whether it is through Zoom or it's through something in person. Right now is time. Sign up. Be a part of a table community. Be a part of a small group. Do those things. Take those steps and be willing to kind of put yourself out there a little bit. Also, take Andy's micro step this week. Be willing to. If you're comfortable, but do it. Be willing to take a step out and invite a family into your home. Have dinner together or invite a family to a restaurant. Or if you're like me, just invite yourself over to somebody else's like I did to Andy earlier. It's perfect. Be willing to let yourself be a little vulnerable and start connecting with people again. Also, we just want to say thanks, Echo. Thanks, Echo, for being an amazing church, being incredibly faithful financially, incredibly faithful in your heart and your prayer for the church. We love you guys, and we are so grateful to be in community with you.